there's sort of this idea of like faces of activism, voices of activism in which faces and voices come to represent entire movements, which is very destructive because movements are made to speak for communities. Welcome to Hashtag Pass the Mic Youth. I'm Nuera Nyota. I'm Luke Sheely. I'm Mateen Ma'ani. And this is a mic drop. As we continue to say on Hashtag Pass the Mic Youth, there are several ways to be an activist. In this episode, we want to highlight our conversation with Hannah Zimmerman, who has held an elected position since the age of 17. At the time, she was the youngest elected official in New York's history. I spoke with her towards the end of last May about her experience in office, digital activism, and how she's working with Tico to encourage young people in engaging with their government. Hi, my name is Hannah Zimmerman. Um, I'm a student at Stanford University. I am also the director of the Institute for Civic Organizing, and I am New York's youngest elected official uh, holding county office in the borough of Manhattan or New York County. Awesome. To start things off, can you describe or maybe like define what civic engagement is? Sure. So the interesting thing about civic engagement is that it's a term that has really become a buzzword recently. Uh, You know, when you think about civic engagement and sort of like the groups that have popped up now that are sort of interested in voter registration, things like that, you wouldn't have really seen them even two years ago. Uh, We're really sort of seeing this explosion of people who want to get involved in government, who want to get involved in politics. And civic engagement has sort of become this catch-all term that people are using to sort of describe this political participation. So how I like to see civic engagement is how one interacts with the government. Uh, And that is sort of like what gets back to sort of the traditional definition But what's really cool about what we're seeing now is that people are playing with the term civic engagement. We're seeing all these groups start pop up that are really trying to see what is the role people should have with their government? What is the role people should play in making decisions? Uh, To sort of like go back to sort of the foundations, the Greek word for democracy, demos, uh, means sort of like the whole citizenship and kratos Uh, means to rule. So democracy was the idea that the whole citizenship rules. And I feel like we kind of forgot that for a while. But now we're really seeing people are coming back in, you know, March for Our Lives, When We All Vote, Tico even, and really trying to create, build off of this initial idea of democracy and create a new way to engage with government. And that's really cool since, you know, if you think about innovation, things like that, it's been so sort of condensed and confined to the tech world or uh, entrepreneurship, things like that, Amazon, Apple. But really, you can use civic engagement as a place for innovation as well, since we need new strategies for how people should engage with government, for how people can get involved in the political processes. And if we see sort of something coming out of this pandemic, I hope that it's a new definition for civic engagement, since the sort of traditional definition, you know, a person, the way a person interacts with their government is changing. Uh, And, you know, I think that we haven't totally settled on a final definition yet. And personally, I hope that we never do. Because civic engagement should be a term that's constantly evolving. 
as sort of the needs of people and society evolve. Mm. I'd love to hear more about how you think the pandemic is changing how people connect and organize. Uh, but first, I'm interested in why you think there's been a larger influx of people engaging civically in the last few years. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's an obvious answer, but the election of Donald Trump, uh, it really did serve as a wake-up call about what happens, uh, not only when you're not engaged, but also what happens when you ignore the needs of vulnerable groups in a society. Um, I spent a lot of time uh, after uh, Donald Trump was elected in rural Michigan. I spent summer 2018 doing field research in Emmett County, Michigan, uh, and I was just interviewing people. I did at least 60 interviews with people who had voted for Trump, who you know were so dissatisfied with the process. And I remember one person said to me, uh, during our interviews, he said, you know, you talk about the Great Depression. This is the 1930s Great Depression, right? He was like, Emmett County, we didn't even realize we were in a Great Depression. We had always been in a Great Depression. And he also talked about um, like uh, JFK and the Great Society programs. And he was like, they never got out here. So what what you sort of saw in the election of 2016 was that there were groups that were ignored. Uh, for a really long time, uh, who really sort of felt abandoned, and they sort of had this really harsh reaction. And, you know, Donald Trump was at least saying something different, you know, to this, to these voter blocks. And, you know, the sort of Democrats on the other side are saying things like basket of deplorables, things like that. So I would sort of argue that sort of origins of new civic engagement really came sort of with Donald Trump's campaign and election where, you know, he spoke to a disenfranchised group of people and sort of gave them a hope and something to campaign for that, you know, this these groups hadn't, these vulnerable groups hadn't heard in a very long time, maybe not ever. So that sort of, and then once, you know, Donald Trump got elected, it was sort of a wake up call on the other side for people who hadn't really been engaged from the more liberal end. Um, and were like, oh my God, you know, this man got elected how could I let this happen? I need to, you know, engage my participation from the other side. So with the greater number of people interested in engaging with the government and the more divisive politics we have right now, how is Tico and how are you hoping to innovate on the ways that people are civically engaged? Yeah. Uh, do you want me to give a quick introduction of Tico here? Sure. So I serve as the director of the Institute for Civic Organizing which is a 501c3 that is dedicated to sort of uh, combining scholarship and activism uh, to create sort of innovative curriculums that teach uh, political organizing and civic organizing. And uh, civic organizing is actually a term that we invented and that's what we call the discipline of organizing that we teach. Uh, a lot of people sort of assume organizing is like a trade skill. It's something you pick up from, you know, getting involved with a volunteer group or, you know, joining your local union or things like that. But civic organizing in the way that we developed it is so we can teach it as a discipline. So it's something that you can learn in class, whether that class be a university class that picks up our curriculum, or uh, we're actually working with a design thinking engineer right now to sort of serve as the classroom as well and bring curriculums ourselves uh, to anyone who wants to learn about civic organizing and how to become a civic organizer. We have we at Tico have found that we are sort of, you know, 
I don't, I don't know if aiding is the right word, but you know, we're a part of that skew as well. And that's sort of when, when we serve as the education center and bringing these skills to people. I'm interested in how you think that organizing may look different after the pandemic. We've certainly seen a lot more use of digital connection. Do you think that that's going to change civic organizing going forward? Well, you actually set me up perfectly to plug one of Tico's programs, um, which is our digital democracy program. So we're working with the Stanford Project on Democracy and the Internet uh, to launch our grassroots digital playbook. It's our take on GDP and our certificate course on Internet organizing and civics. Uh, So you can get a certificate from the Institute for Civic Organizing and uh, have access to our grassroots digital playbook, which will sort of teach you sort of everything you need to know about Internet citizenship and organizing online. And the reason we're putting so much time and effort into our digital democracy program is because we do think that digital organizing is in many parts the future. And that's just because even for on the ground mobilization that you see today, a lot of it is being done online. So, you know, even look at, you know, Fridays for Future, like that was an international movement that happened all over the world, right? Uh, That was only possible because of, you know, Twitter, WhatsApp, um, Instagram, things like that. So that digital tools uh, will just be super integrated into the future of organizing civic engagement and politics. Yeah. One of the things that we've pretty much heard from all of the activists on our podcast and blog is that social media is a huge way that they've been able to engage in organizing. I was wondering if you could touch on how that relates to organizing that you've talked about and also youth activists who may be a little more in touch with social media. Social media is actually one of my greatest fears for the future of organizing because social media contributes to a culture of individualism in organizing that is very destructive to movements. Um, There's sort of this idea of like faces of activism, voices of activism in which faces and voices come to represent entire movements, which is very destructive because movements are made to speak for communities, entire groups of people. They're supposed to be about the issues. And I've just watched too many groups fall apart because of the egos of sort of one or two um, who really get sort of attached to this sort of spotlight that in many ways social media gives them, um, which is very scary. If I was doing, I I was advising the Social Democratic Party of Germany this fall. I came to work with them on their mobilization. And I spent a lot of time reading about sort of the German left in the 1930s. And uh, it was pretty terrifying that while, you know, Hitler was rising to power, the German left was fighting amongst themselves about sort of who got to be the leader, you know, who was right, things like that. So I think that social media is a double-edged sword because, yes, you can use social media to reach new groups of people you may not have been able to reach otherwise, but social media can make movement celebrities and movement celebrities destroy movements. So you really need to be careful when you're working with that. I think that is a really interesting point. Most of the other people who we've talked to about this with have mentioned how helpful social media can be in connecting and spreading information, but it is very disruptive and it's definitely not always the most intuitive tool, as you mentioned, as a way to promote unity among people. I think the disruptiveness is definitely important 
keep in mind when using those platforms. I'd love to also turn this maybe in a different direction and talk about your personal experience in running for office and the position that you hold. Sure. And this actually sort of ties in really interestingly to sort of like what we were just talking about. And, you know, I'll get a little emotional and personal for a bit, uh, sort of about sort of the downsides of, you know, youth celebrityism and youth activism. Uh, but I, you know, I did a lot of work when I was in high school that was very important to me. And it opened a lot of doors in my career, uh, including, you know, helping the launch of Tico, which I'm really thankful for. But it also, you know, didn't really give me anonymity when I was, you know, a teenager and going into college, which was difficult because, you know, I showed up at my university and half the incoming freshman class already knew who I was <laughs> and uh, already, you know, gave me sort of an identity. And, you know, that was sort of what was hard my first two years of college because, you know, it's such a time of growth and self-exploration. And I felt like I really didn't get to do that because I had to sort of defend this identity that was given to me, uh, sort of by the activism I did when I was in high school. That being said, the activism I did was so important to me. But, you know, it, it is sort of the double-edged sword of, you know, speaking on behalf of the work you do and things like that. Because in many ways, you have um, sort of all of the benefits of, you know, being a successful adult without any of the adult consequences, <laughs> because sort of if you fail or you don't do anything, oh, they're just a kid. But, you know, if you succeed really well, wow, they're amazing. So that is sort of uh, something to think about sort of within youth activism, which is that it's a it's it's a really tricky place for young people to occupy sort of in terms of, you know, cognitive development, passion and things like that. It is something that, you know, I've talked to sort of former youth activists about, and it is sort of something really to consider when it comes to, you know, how what kind of platform we're giving young people. Um, I guess all that goes to say, yeah, when I was I when I was 16, I got politically engaged and I did a lot of work for Bernie Sanders. And uh, I sort of started a high school campaign for him and worked really closely with the campaign on engaging high school students in the movement. I was really lucky the campaign selected me to serve as his youngest delegation member to the DNC. I was 16 at the time, and I represented the state of New York on the Democratic National Committee's Credentials Committee. So I coordinated credentials uh, for delegates for Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, and Martin O'Malley across all 50 states. And that experience is so meaningful for me that, you know, when I came back to New York and sort of the Bernie movement had died off, I started looking for new ways to get involved. And that's sort of when I found out about my local county government and county committee. And I actually found that sort of the seat to represent my neighborhood was, you know, vacant. And, uh, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I want to run for this. You know, I want to make change. So, and then I, I was 17 at the time. And I wanted to run and I actually found out I was too young to run. So I was like, this isn't fair. <laughs> so I petitioned the Board of Elections of New York City and I won. So they lowered the age to run for county committee to 17. And at that point, I ran for the county seat and I ran on a post and I got elected. And I'm currently in my second term and it's very important to me. Uh, because I get to connect with my community, vote on platforms, and I do a lot of work sort of with engaging youth in our county committee, 
including a new project I just launched with Tico uh, called the Triple R Training to register to vote, run for local office, and revitalize local office. That's awesome. Can you tell me a little bit more about that program? And what are these types of offices that you're talking about? Yeah, so our Triple R Training, register, run, and revitalize local office, is all about a new idea of citizenship and civic engagement in which civic engagement doesn't just stop with voting. Civic engagement includes service to your community uh, through many ways, but uh, we highlight running for like a local county seat, even as local as precinct delegate. So our triple R training does not go above county level. We just focus on hyper-local. And because that's the first step to sort of, you know, rebuilding the democracy that as we talked about earlier is, you know, engaged in polarization that is engaged in political apathy. Uh, and that, you know, we, and sort of harnesses the energy that's come about since 2016 in a positive way that contributes to, you know, making positive change in one's community. What sort of feedback have you gotten from other young people, if at all, who have also ran for local offices? Yeah, so this actually comes out of a project that uh, I did that sort of helped launch Tico. In 2018, I worked with Teen Vogue and uh, I served as the editor-in-chief on their um, youth guide to voting and organizing in the midterm elections. And for that publication, we interviewed young people who had run for local office I think we had two. One ran for his town council and the other ran for his school board. And we started talking about sort of, we asked some questions about the nitty gritty. How did you go about running for office? How did you go about serving in office? And, you know, everyone we spoke to talked about how rewarding the position was and sort of serving in local office opened their eyes to a new way of making change. And also, you know, just how difficult it is to, make political and policy change because it's it, it's uh when you go into that room you're working with people who you know you have to make write the bill or write the legislation or write the you know um legislative piece so that not only is it an idea of something you want to change like you know we want to you know change uh climate law, like you need to go in and understand the regulation and understand everything that needs to happen so that this, I, so that the situation can change. And I think that is a really important thing for sort of young people to realize and contribute to their activism, sort of the specificity at which you need to work to make change. And that's sort of one of the goals coming out of the triple R training, which is that we want you to understand just the regula the regulations and the specificity at which you need to work to really have an idea and see it through. Would you say that's the most important piece of advice that you'd want to offer to other young activists is to be specific about your goals and plans and what you want to achieve? Um, I would say the most important piece of advice for, <laughs> I think that's really important. The most important thing I would sort of say to youth activists and things like that is don't get ahead of yourself. 
Uh, I think one of the most tragic things about movement organizing is that movements tend to have a lifespan of like a year and a half. And that's because a lot of people don't organize in a sustainable way. So I think specificity is really important, but more so than that is sustainability in your movement. So, you know, great. You want to start um, a campaign to end sexual assault on campus. Fantastic. But don't just think about your one-year goals. Think about your five-year goals. Think about your two-year goals or three-year goals. Think about how you're going to transition when you graduate, you know, things like that, because I think that's how you really create sustainable movements. And I think that while, you know, 2016 and sort of the election of Donald Trump has shown us that people want to be more engaged, it's also shown us that, you know, we need to do more work to make sure our movements are sustainable so that they can, you know, continue for many years to come. Mm, Yeah, that is definitely very sound advice. And at least my experience, I know a lot of organizations that are focused on young people and run by young people definitely have uh, a high turnover sometimes. So focusing on the sustainability of what you're doing and the long-term goals of the organization and the activism will help it to keep going and to actually achieve those big goals that were started Thank you so much for talking with me. And is there anything that you'd want to mention before we sign off? Yeah, I guess uh, on August 29th, the Institute for Civic Organizing is hosting our launch conference. It's a virtual conference, Navigating Scholarship and Activism Post-Pandemic. We hope to see you all there. Awesome. Thank you so much for talking with me today, Hannah. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hashtag Pass the Mic Youth. We want to give a huge shout out to Hannah for the work that she's doing and taking the time to speak with us. To learn more about what Tico is doing, check out civic-organizing.com. As we continue to share the stories of young activists, we want to hear from you in particular. If you'd like to share your story, please visit passthemicyouth.com and click on our submissions link. We would really love to hear from you and help share your work with the world, whether that's through art, writing, organizing, or just sharing your own personal experiences and stories. Hashtag Pass the Mic Youth is a product of NC State Extension, but may not necessarily reflect its views.